Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I'd love to just welcome Dee and Sean, uh, who are from our Junction Church. You might have noticed in the worship we had, we had a new face. Could you just stand up? Do you mind? Just go ahead. Both of you, stand up. They're from our church, Every Nation Church in Four Ways. So, so great to have you guest worship leaders. Just so happy to have you. Welcome. Um, we, are, we are a family of churches all over South Africa, and God is doing great things all over Joburg and all over South Africa, Africa and the world. Over 400 churches in the entire world. God is moving and doing amazing things, impacting, impacting the influences of the next generation. That's who we are. So, so great to have you all here today. We have been on a series called Impact Your World. We started the just before that with a series called Encounter God, and the, the purpose was to really reiterate our vision of who we are. We are a church who encounters God, and we impact the world. And so we, we talked about encountering God and who God is and his attributes, and, and I felt like we dug really deep into the nature of God. It was, I don't know about you, but I loved feasting on that, those revelations. And then now we want to move on to how out of that place of just understanding God, knowing God, being united to God, we want to in turn impact our world. And we started the last three weeks, and we spoke about how Jesus... When he called his disciples from Matthew 4, he said, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. And what we discovered is that to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must follow him, you must fellowship with other believers, and you must fish for men. And that's what it means to be a disciple. And everyone who wants to really be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, some people just don't know it yet. But one of the reasons is that, that Jesus calls us into that place is that God has a dream for the world. And his dream for the world is so beautiful and magnificent. He wants every person to be a part of that. What I am doing right now is I'm just introducing for you the next part of Impact Your World. So we talked about how to be a disciple in the last three weeks of that sermon series. Now we're going to change tack a little bit and say, how do we take what God has put inside of it and make it multiply it, should I say rather, into the rest of the world? So we're going to be talking about how we make disciples, how we follow the Spirit of God to make disciples. And to start that, I want to talk about God's dream. And I'm going to put a scripture up on the screen. I, I almost don't even want you to read along with me. Mostly, I want you to listen to the heart of God as I read it. Because there's something, every time I read this particular portion of scripture, it does something to my soul. It reinvigorates my heart in a way that I can see what God is going for. I begin to understand why he's moving the world in the way he is. So, here we go. It's from Isaiah 65. For behold, he says, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create you, Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. My friends, can you just change the slide at the back? There we go. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. They for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. While I was reading, did you get a picture of a beautiful world? that God is making, a world filled with peace, filled with life, filled with good relationships, filled with productivity, filled with a place where your labor matters and it bears fruit, where, where things work, where there's no sickness and disease, calamity, heartache, where Jesus is on the throne. God has a dream for our world. Not only does he have a dream for our world, he has a plan to get there. Because dreams without plans mean nothing. His plan is Jesus. His plan is stepping into this world to destroy sickness and death, to destroy the sin that held us by forgiving us and inviting us to be disciples and then doing what we read at the beginning of the service Sending us into the world to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and being with us always until the very end. You see, God has a dream for the world, but he also has a plan. And his plan looks like him putting that dream in your heart and then sending you into the world to bring that revelation, that truth, that life, that knowledge of Christ into the hearts of every person that you meet. Amen. That is the end of my intro to the rest of the sermon series. Take a deep breath and say, Jesus, I want to hear it all. Uh, you did. Yeah, I know. You didn't know whether, what, what, should I actually say that or should I not actually say it? Go and say it. Jesus, I want to hear it all. <laughs> awesome. So moving on to today's sermon. I'm so sorry, guys. Can you grab my computer and get it back to playing? So you get two kinds of sinners. You get do sinners that do bad things, 
Let's call them do-badder sinners, okay? You got them? And then we have sinners who do good things. Let's call them do-gooder sinners. So before I met Jesus, I was a do-gooder sinner. I got good grades. I was mostly kind to everyone, except the people who annoyed me. And I gave to charity. I mean, I was a... I was a good person. But the truth was, I was far from Jesus. And if you had to look into my internal world, you would have seen a different picture. The turmoil, the angst, the the anger, the irritation. You know, sometimes the reason I was a do-good a sinner is I was too scared to do bad things. Not because I had a conviction. I just hadn't got to them yet. And I think that might be true of most two good listeners. But if you looked at me, you would have thought I was doing okay. I'm so grateful that some people came onto campus where I was, the University of the Witwatersrand. I'm so pleased they came onto campus and they saw through my facade. I'm so grateful that they pushed into a relationship with me because they knew that it's no, no good to just do good things. You must be united to Jesus. I'm so grateful that when they found me and they, they shared their stories, they started conversations, they asked questions, they listened, they told their stories. And when they told their stories, I resonated with them. And, and then they told the story of Jesus. And I came to be united to Jesus. And I'm so grateful they didn't just leave me there. I'm so grateful they took my hand and said, okay, let's teach you now how to be a disciple. Let's walk with you. Let's get you baptized in water. Let's get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's get you committed to the church. I'm having a little problem with this microphone, but I'm going to, I'm going to persevere because it keeps slipping off my ear because I have these fantastic ears. <laughs> I'm so pleased that they taught me how to read my Bible and to pray. I'm, I'm so pleased that they, they walked with me and helped me to partake with them in the mission of God. And I got the incredible joy of loving people on campus and sharing Christ with them. I'm so pleased that they did all that with me. And I'm also pleased to let you know that here they are. Those are the people that led me to the Lord. I know, isn't that cool? Look how old-fashioned they are. (laughs) And look how much hair Andrew had. That's Bill and Connie Bennett, who actually started Every Nation Joburg. Sheila Evans, who became Sheila Foley, who discipled me. And Andrew Gosman, who eventually married me, which is quite a good, <laughs> quite a good thing. That banner that they're standing in front of, we literally, on Witz campus, I mean, we knew nothing. We would, all we knew is that Jesus was Lord and that everyone needed that. And that banner is literally like a blue piece of material that we painted with paint brushes in white paint from um, a scripture in Daniel, knowing God, being strong, doing mighty exploits. Our geography was really bad because we wanted a whirlwind to come out of Joburg and take over the whole of Africa, but I think we've got it somewhere in Malawi. I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. But anyway, the, the, the sentiment is good that, that we, we knew and we still know that when we follow Jesus, God is going to take over the world. That his dream is coming to pass. That he's coming to do something fantastic. The process that they took us through, they took me through, looks like this. We affectionately call it the four E's. We had the three F's to be a disciple. Follow Jesus, fellowship with men, and fellowship with believers and fish for men. We have the four E's, which is how we walk with someone to establish them in the faith. We didn't call it the four E's in those days, but now we do. We, we engage community and society, culture and community. We establish biblical foundations. We equip believers to minister, and we empower disciples to make disciples. They took my hand, and they walked me through that. Interestingly enough, is that this was the second time I'd given my life to Jesus. The first time I gave my life to Jesus, I was in grade 10 in high school. No one walked with me through this stuff. I just went to a youth group, said I wanted Jesus, and then sung songs and drank Coke and checked out the guys. And what ended up happening, you can guess, I don't even ha you don't have to be a, a genius to know that within a couple of months I totally backslid. But this time was different because someone took my hand and they walked with me. They taught me. They showed me the way. They lived with me. They related to me. They spoke to me about my clothes and said, Carol, maybe that's not the most appropriate thing for you to be wearing. Can we just talk about your wardrobe? That's how, that's how real they got. They say to me, that boyfriend you have that doesn't serve Jesus, maybe we need to talk about that. They talked about the real stuff. They asked me almost daily, so what did God say to you in the Bible today? That's code for, did you read your Bible? <laughs> day in, day out. If I didn't arrive at church, Sheila Evans, I would find her outside my door 15 minutes after church ended. Hey, Carol, missed you today. She would have a great smile on her face, but there would be a sternness in her soul. And what it did is it trained me in the ways of the kingdom. It taught me how to be strong in Jesus, and I'm so, so grateful. I want to take some time today and just talk about that first stage, engage culture and community. Jesus was constantly engaging with do-gooder sinners and with do-badder sinners. In fact, there's one time when the do-gooder sinners were getting fairly irritated with him, which wasn't unusual, because he was spending so much time with the do-badders. And they felt he should be spending more time with us. And then he begins to tell them three parables after that to say, why he did the things he did. And we're going to read those three parables. They're short. The first two are very short. The, the second one is a little bit longer, and I'm going to read the beginning and the end of that because that's all I really need for the sermon, and I'll paraphrase the in-between. But we're going to read this and, and look at some principles behind pressing in to the world around us so that God's dream can be made real in the world around us and in the hearts of people. 
So Luke 15, from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Those are the do-badders. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the good do-gooders, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I, just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. You know the parable, it's the parable of the prodigal son. He had a good son and a bad son. The bad son gets his inheritance, goes out, squanders it, makes a mess of his life, and then turns back to come home because he realizes, heck, just the servants in my father's house are doing better than me, so I, let me go back and be there. And then we pick it up in verse 20, and he says, the father arose Sorry, the son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Lord Jesus, I love your word. Thank you, Lord God. As we break open your word, would you come and speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you help us to be effective in knowing you and in the knowing you, revealing you to the world around us. Lord God, let the world not be the same because we lived and we said yes to you. Holy Spirit, come and lead us into a life that is filled with productive and fruitful adventures in you. Moments of interactions that set other people's hearts ablaze with a passion for you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So two things you need to know about this parable before I continue, these parables, should I say, is that in these parables, God is likening himself to three people. He's likening himself to a man who owns a hundred sheep. He's likening himself to a woman who has a collection of coins. He's likening himself to a father who has sons. So God is represented in these three parables as these three people. And Jesus is revealing God's heart to them through these three people. The next thing you need to know is that in each parable, we are represented there. The population of the world is there. First of all, in the hundred sheep. Secondly, in this multitude of coins. 
And thirdly, in these sons. Every one of us can find ourselves in one of those sons. The population of the world is represented by those three things. And the first thing I would love you to note is that lost or found, lost or found, everyone belongs to God. Did you notice? I mean, even when that one sheep was lost, the sheep owner didn't say, oh, well, let that, let that sheep just go. It's like, those were his sheep. Yeah. Lost or found, they all belonged to him. He, he, there was at no time that he was borrowing the sheep from someone else. or they, they were somehow their own masters. From beginning to end, they were his sheep. The woman with the coins. I mean, those are her coins. That's why she looked for the lost coin. They belonged to her. And the father, at no time, when the, when the lost son returns, he doesn't say, oh, yes, now you can be a servant in my home. Immediately, that son is still his son. He calls him son from the minute he realizes he's there. He's always his son. When he was living with the pigs and eating pig food, he was still the father's son. So this is so important to understand, is that there is not a human being in the world that does not belong to God. There's not a human being in the world that does not have the imprint of the Father on their soul. There's not a human being in the world that does not carry the image of God. I don't care how broken they are. I don't care how lost they are. They all belong to God. And we can see from this parable, God wants his children home. Every single one of them. When I look at this and I contemplate this, it becomes clear to me that our value never changes. You, you have never met an unvaluable person. I have with me here a hundred rand note. And I went on the internet to see what I could actually buy with this. Not much. I can buy two-thirds of a KFC nine bucket, nine-piece bucket, only two-thirds, nonetheless. So maybe I can buy six-piece bucket, which they don't have. They should invent it so I can get it with my hundred rand. <laughs> but this hundred rand, okay, let's say you can buy six pieces of KFC. But this little hundred rand, who looks pristine and fantastic, if I take this hundred rand note and... Man, this 100 rand note was born in a home where there was lots of anger and fighting, and this 100 rand note really had a hard time. And then it w went out into the world, and people treated this 100 rand note really badly. They spat on it, which I'm not going to do because that's just gross, and they just treated it really, really badly. And then this little 100 rand note kind of faces the world. How much can I buy now after this 100 rand note has been through all of that? How much can I buy with it? Six pieces of KFC. Same deal. Because you see, like, like this 100 rand note, every single person, no matter what they've been for, they still retain the value of the imprint of their father. 
It never changes. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your neighbor's been through. I don't care how much you've been dragged through bushes and, and hurt and harmed. I don't care how hard your heart has gotten. I don't care how mean you've become. I don't care how sad you've become. You are still a child of the Most High God. You see, there's one other thing that I note also is that no matter what happened to this 100 Rand note, it's still a 100 Rand note. You see, God who owns us determines who we are. And you see, we are so used to determining our identity by the culture we come from by the job we do, by how successful or unsuccessful we have been, by our gender, by our age, perhaps even by our sexual preference. We, we label ourselves with all kinds of things. And some of those are true, some of them are not true, but, but the point is that every one of those must be subordinated, must be put underneath the identity that your father gives you. You are first and foremost a child of the most high God. I don't know, I don't care where you've been, how you operate your life, how you uh, prefer things, you are first and foremost a child of the most high God. And everything, let me tell you, everything must come from that. Not from any of the other identities. It must come from the fact that you're a child of the most high God. You see, lost or found, everyone belongs to God. And as we go about our days, let us look at the people around us and know that. See that, understand that, no matter how they identify themselves or how they behave, let us see through every one of those facades and let us see a child of the king. So other thing I would love you to note is that in all these parables, God comes to find the lost one. Even in the final one when the son turns back, the father comes running to the son. The other thing I note is in coming back to him, only change slides when I do that, great people, thank you. But as, as God comes running to them, that there is a level of determination that's astounding. What I mean by that is, in the, in the parable of the, the one lost sheep, he literally takes the most enormous risk. He leaves the 99 to go and find that one. He's like, he's risking financial rule, ruin because he, he must have that one. In the second one, there's this determination on the woman to find that coin. She moves things, she does things, she rearranges her house, she, she, she does whatever it takes. It inconveniences her entire life until she finds that one. And in the last one, that father, when he comes running, you may not know this, but in Jewish society for a, a man or a man carrying authority to actually run was very degrading. They didn't do that. They walked sedately and people ran around them and did things for them. 
This father literally picked up his skirts and ran to his son. What did he do? He threw away his dignity. He, threw, he says, my reputation in the community is, is nothing in comparison to the joy of finding my son. You see, in all these parables, you see a God who will do anything to get to his lost children. And he does it with determination. And the question I want to ask you is why? The, why the determination? Why the determination? And the first answer to that is that the eternal consequences of being without him are dire. You see, God is a God of freedom. And for all his children, he has made a commitment. I will honor your choices. Because that's what it means to be one of my children. Jesus spoke about what separation from God would look like in eternity. He used phrases like unquenchable fire. He used phrases like worms that never cease to eat. He used phrases like weeping and gnashing of teeth. He used phrases like outer darkness or darkness. And I don't know what your view of hell is. I don't know if you believe in a literal hell or figurative hell. It doesn't matter. The, these words tell us what it will feel like. The consequences of separation from God in eternity are dire. But we see from this, these parables that God does not want that for anyone. He's not a God that sends people to hell. He's a God that does whatever he can to stop people from being separated from him in eternity, to stop people going to hell. He moves heaven and earth. He comes and he facts, dies the most excruciating death because he is determined to get his children back, to stop this eternal reality from coming to them. To, to cover them from the bad choices they're making. To make a way for them. That's not the only reason he's determined. That's the tough reason. But it's a real reason. And we don't talk about it often in church, but it's true. And we need to keep that in our minds. I have a very dear friend who lost a family member recently. And the only thing she could say to me is, did he know the Lord? And I, I absolutely agree with her. I had, I had a vision while I was praying, and I, I saw him and God together, and th this interaction between him and God just before he died. So I, me and her, we trust him that this man is with Jesus. But this is the reality, that there is absolute choice for everyone, but there comes a time when the choice bus closes. The other great reason that God is so determined is that the eternal consequences of being with him are mind-blowingly good. You know, I love how Jesus puts it in these parables, that when uh, the, the lost sheep, sheep comes home, it says there's celebrations in, in heaven. The angels are celebrating. In the, with the women, there's, again, celebrations in heaven. Angels are celebrating. I, I picture that for a moment. Is that 
These, these angels and heavenly beings, can you imagine, 24-7, they are faced with the glory and radiance and majesty of God that is unspeakably magnificent. Every day they are living in perfect significance, perfect hope, perfect delight. Every day exploding from their hearts is joy unspeakable. And yet, when a sinner comes home, all of that perfection of joy just skyrockets. Can you imagine, can you imagine what it will be like united to God for eternity? Can you imagine? No one, no one should miss out on that. No one should miss out on that. And the beauty is from the moment you say yes to Jesus, heaven begins. From the moment you say yes to him and surrender to him, that, that very thing I'm talking about begins to grow in your heart until it becomes the entire reality of your life into eternity. How many of you have ever bought one of those pieces of furniture that you have to assemble when you get it home? You know, you look at it in the shop and it's magnificent. You buy it and then they deliver it and you think this nice piece of furniture is coming and instead you get this flat box. And then you must take out all those pieces and you've got those instructions that have been translated from Chinese directly. The English is unintelligible. And you've got all these little bits and pieces that have to go in. A must go with um, FY. And you know, it's like these, it's like what? Are you talking about? And you, you labor and eventually you get together and you, you, well, you get like three quarters of the way through and suddenly you realize the, the screws that are labeled AX1B aren't there. And then you must like jimmy rig it and like put a wire through it. I don't know. I, I never get there. I just, that's when I just pack it back in the box and send it back. But... You know, without, without all the pieces, you don't get a full product. You know, this church can do things, magnificent things, because you're in it. There's something you add to the church. You're screw X, Y, F2. And because you are here, something can be built that could not have been built before. But screws ZYNT and ABND are not here. So there are certain things we can't build until they come. So the bottom line is there are eternal and magnificent advantages of being united to Jesus, but there are some very practical everyday advantages of reaching the people around you is that we can do more together with more people in, more people added, more people bringing their gifts to the party, more people contributing their resources. We can be more effective in bringing that God's dream to this earth. So there are eternal joys and there are very practical everyday now joys. We have a physiotherapist in this in this congregation. And I'm so grateful because I get a physiotherapist who understands me and who doesn't hurt me much. <laughs> but you see, there are advantages of, of, of us all being together. 
And the advantage is that every person, they bring their value that they hold, their innate value, and they bring it into the kingdom and they make us better. There are things that we cannot do until your neighbor is sitting in one of these seats. There are things we cannot do until your aunt, your uncle, your son, your daughter is here with us. In conclusion, a powerful thing about this, these parables is right at the beginning, Jesus said, you being a man with a hundred sheep. In the NIV, that was the ESV, he says, suppose you had a hundred sheep. Right at the beginning, what he's doing is he's inviting every single person to step into that story. But not to step into that story as one of the sheep, one of the coins, one of the sons. We are that and we should read ourselves there. But he also invites you into those parables as God himself. As the owner of the sheep, as the owner of the coins, as the father with the sons. He invites you to think like your heavenly father about the world around you. He's inviting you to see your neighbor like he sees them. He's inviting you to see the possibilities like he sees them. Jesus invites us to think like God. And I guess what I am asking you is will you take God's hand Will you allow his mind to come into your mind? Will you think like him about the people around you? And would you go and find them? Would you bring them home? Amen. I hope that all of you, as you were coming in the door, were offered an engage card. Some of you got an engage card last week. But if... And you may or may not have it here. But if you do, won't you take it out? If this is the first time you have an Engage card, what I would love you to do is take a pen, and you will see on the back there's five lines. And I would love you to think about five people in your environment that God wants to bring home. And I'd love you to write their names down. Then I would love you to take that card and keep it somewhere prominent. Stick it on the dashboard of your car, on your mirror where you brush your teeth, I don't know, anywhere in your purse where you take out your credit card. Make sure that it's somewhere where it'll constantly remind you. And every time you see that card, I'm gonna ask you to pray for those five people. Let's trust and believe for a breakthrough in their life. We're gonna pray for them now, but before we do that, we prayed for them last week. We're going to pray for them this week. We're going to pray for them next week. But an extra thing I'd like you to do this week is I'd like you to ask God for an opportunity to interface with at least two or three of those. So either you're going to send them a message, a WhatsApp, or you're going to send them a scripture. If you, if you can, you're going to send them a prophecy. Phone them, invite them out to coffee, have them around for a meal, do a bride together. Do something that will initiate a relationship. Because what we're aiming for is that you would be able to walk with these people like those people on Vitz walked with me into the kingdom. That you would walk with them and not stop walking, just keep walking until they're established in the faith. 
We're going to trust God that you will start conversations. You'll ask them questions. You'll listen to their responses. You will tell them your story, what God has done for you. And, and then you'll tell them the story of Christ. And maybe you won't do it all in one meeting. Maybe it'll just happen slowly over time. But let's begin the journey of walking with them. Let's, let's signal to them that we're interested in a relationship with them. We're interested in being friends. And let's trust that as we walk, opportunity will come for us to share, for us to speak, for us to show the love of Christ. And that invite them to church, invite them to your connect group, and that in time they will come to know Christ. Amen. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. Have you all filled in your cards? Did you all manage that? Does anybody need more time? Just wave at me. Fantastic. If you have your card with you, won't you put your hand on it? Just as a way of saying, it's these people, Lord. <laughs> if you don't have your card with you, just think of them. And as I pray, you can just maybe name them in your mind or name them out loud. So Lord Jesus, we come. We come and we pray for every one of these on these cards. Lord God, they're your children. They're your children, valuable because you made them. Lord God, we, we hear your desire to bring them home. Lord God, we want to partner with your desire and say yes to that. Holy Spirit, would you touch them? Would you speak to them? Lord God, I pray that daily you would send into their world a witness of Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that you would give us open doors to share our story with them, to share what you've done in our life, to share bits of it here and there, bigger pieces at other times. Lord God, give us opportunity to share what you've done. Holy Spirit, open their hearts. In fact, I speak right now to every one of these hearts, to every idol in their hearts, I command you to bow. To every lie of the enemy that is keeping them away from Christ, I command you to bow before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. I command these hearts to hear the word of the Lord. I command them to turn to Him in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we cry out for them. Would you bring them into your kingdom? Would you save them? Would you grant them a gift of repentance? Would you call them to you? Would you make them into disciples? Lord God, would you grace us to do the work of walking with them in their discipleship journey as we walk with you in our discipleship journey. Holy Spirit, come and do what no man can do. Save the lost. Find them, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We honor you for the many people that will be added to this church and that this church will become stronger, more effective, more able to do what you've called us to do. Because, Lord God, we see your dream and we say yes to your dream. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We've got some singers in the front. Amen. We've got some singers in the front. I'm going to invite you to come onto the stage and do that for all of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, what a can we worship the Lord? Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Come and behold him. Come and behold him. Bow down before him. Bow down before him. Sing.
was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. I'm going to ask, we're going to sing that chorus one more time, but I'm going to ask if, if you are here and you, you know that you, you're a, you might be a do-gooder sinner, or you know that your, your life is just, it's just not right with God, that there's distance between you and Jesus and that you need to get serious about surrendering your life to him. And if you are here, I'd love us to pray this prayer together. And if, if you want to make that commitment, would you pray it from your heart? Can we all pray it together? Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me, that you would reunite me with my heavenly Father. Lord, I trust you to save me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we continue singing, if you are here and you would, you would like to make that decision known. In fact, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that and you meant it, won't you just raise your hand? I would love to see who you are so I can pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, as, as we close the service. I'm going to invite those who raise their hands and maybe some of you who didn't raise your hand but you, you really know you need to make that commitment to Jesus. Won't you come over to this side of the hall so that I can pray for you? That's your left. Come over there. And then if any of you just feel like you need prayer for a reconnection to Jesus. It's like you're saved, you know God, but you just feel like you just need some kind of a, an injection of of connection, an injection of connection, that sounds good. Won't you come to this side of the room and can we just have the fire squad come up and help pray for those um, and they will help minister to you and prophesy over you and help you experience that connection again. So if we can sing that, those of you who raise your hands, please come forward. Can we give them a hand as they come? with Jesus you here and if you're looking to surrender your life to Jesus you over here can we give them a hand 
the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. Have a glorious week. We're going to minister to these people. If you need ministry and you want to come forward and you haven't, please do that. Otherwise, don't leave here without connecting to someone. Just say a hi. How's it? Get a coffee. Hang out. We love you. God bless you. Have a glorious week.